Good morning again, folks. I, I feel very uh, <clears throat> encouraged this morning for a couple of, uh, couple of reasons. The first one is that uh, this is the very first time uh, in my life that I have been privileged to uh, break bread with my own son. Um, it's a wonderful thing in life, every parent here well, no, it's a wonderful thing in life to see your children saved and then to see them with a Christian wife and then to be able to remember the Lord together. Amen. That was a, a very, very precious experience that, that we enjoyed <clears throat> with you this morning. And I'm also encouraged, uh, too, because of our opening hymn this morning, uh, Milton. Of all the names in uh, this church, uh, Milton's one of the easiest ones for me to remember because the first time that I met Milton, I said to him, pleased to meet you, I'm Milton. And he said, I'm Hilton. Or the other way around, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so I never have any difficulty remembering Milton's name. And uh, that hymn this morning, you know, Lead Me to Calvary, was exactly what was upon my heart to speak about this morning. We want to, I trust with tenderness and with feeling and with sweetness and softness, we want to come to Calvary. Um, dear Brother Bill uh, reminded us that because of Calvary, what it meant to us, we got our sight we're no longer in the darkness. We have eternal life, and that's what it meant to us. And in this part of the meeting, I'd like to, I'd like to bring us to where Adam brought us to and to think especially of, of all that it meant to him to suffer, bleed, and die on your account and mine on Calvary's cross. So I, I trust that our meditation will be sweet and that we might be led to, 
to the place which is called Calvary. So shall we read from the Bible in the Gospel by John and chapter 19. John 19 is one of the sweetest, loveliest chapters in all of the Bible. John chapter 19, and we're going to read from verse number 30. John 19, verse 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came their out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. <clears throat> what delightful verses these are, more important than any, anything that I could really say upon them. But you know, none of us this morning, none of us have ever, ever realized how awful a place Calvary really was. And the depth of experience and the depth of trouble that touched the very Savior's heart and soul as he hung upon the cross of Calvary in shame and sorrow. The crowd, the crowd were mocking, and the thieves were taunting, And the soldiers were gambling at his feet. And the Savior himself was bleeding. Bleeding on Calvary's tree for you and me. And I like to think of all the things that he gave. The Bible says at Calvary's cross, he gave his back to the smiters. He gave his cheeks to those that plucked off the hair. He gave his hands to the nails. He gave his feet to the spikes. He gave his side to the the spear. And last of all, he gave himself. He gave everything because the Bible says, the Son of God, he loved me and he gave himself for me. And I trust as we think of all that he gave, the many sorrows that he bore, and though the crown of thorns he wore, that we might live forevermore. His love is more than tongue can tell. And I think of him there, suspended on Calvary's tree. I think of that hot eastern sun that scorched him. I think of that, those hot winds that dried up the moisture of his body. I think of the nails in his hands and in his feet, and the weight of his body, 
causing those wounds to widen as he hung there on Calvary's tree. What an awful scene it was when the Savior gave himself for the likes of you and me. Is it any wonder that sometimes we sing the love, all the love that Jesus had for me, to suffer, to suffer on the cruel tree, that I a ransom soul might be, it's more than tongue can tell. And so I want to take up this morning this lovely expression that we referred to very, very briefly last Sunday. I want to take up this expression, it is finished. It is finished. And I want to ask ourselves the question and try to answer it as best we can, although it cannot really ever be answered, what it was that was finished on Calvary's tree. What did the Savior mean? when he said finished. So the first thing I want to suggest to you was, that was finished was this. The first thing that was finished was his sufferings were finished. His sufferings were ended. There were sufferings on that cross that perhaps all eternity we will never ever be able to understand or comprehend. In the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 52 and chapter 53, the prophet Isaiah takes up certain pictures there to explain a truth that he's trying to reveal and trying to explain. And when he's trying to explain about how you and I as sinners have gone astray, he takes up the picture of a sheep and he says, all we like sheep have gone astray. And he takes up the picture of a sheep. When he's trying to explain later on in that chapter, when he's trying to explain about the growth of the Lord Jesus and how different he was in this world in which he lived, he takes up the picture of a plant. And he said he grew up as a tender plant and he was like a root out of a dry ground. And he takes up that picture of a plant and a root. And then he comes to deal with the sufferings of Christ upon the cross. And he struggles, as it were, to get a picture that is suitable for the sufferings of Christ upon the cross. And here's how he deals with it. He says his visage was marred more than any man's, and his form more than the sons of men. There's no picture. There's no picture can explain it. There's no simile can cause us to understand it. His visage was marred more than any man's. His sufferings on the tree. There are two things at least that make his sufferings very, very special and very, very unique. The first thing I think that makes his sufferings unique is this. It was suffering for something that he didn't do. Sometimes the illustrations of life are so 
simple yet so precious and important in illustrating points like these. And I'm going back to early school days just now for a minute. Quite a long time ago. <laughs> and one day I'm sitting at my desk. I was a boy maybe of maybe seven or eight years of age, just something of tender years. And we had a lovely teacher. She was an elderly lady. I remember her name still. She was called Miss Hayes. She was, you know, one of the old school. She didn't take any nonsense. So I'm sitting at my desk, and all of a sudden I heard Miss Hayes saying to me, Hilton, you bring your school bag up here, and I want you to empty all the contents out onto my desk. Now, I was completely, completely taken by surprise. I didn't know what was happening, but I took up my bag, and I emptied it out onto her desk. And as I emptied my school bag out onto her desk, one of the things that fell out of my desk was another boy's pencil case. And she said to me, how did that pencil case get into your bag? I said, Miss Hayes, I don't know. And she said, well, I know, you stole it. And she got out the big cane. Some of you remember those days? She got out the big cane, and two in this hand, and two in this hand. Oh, I think I can nearly feel it yet. And you know the shame of being caned in front of all the class, all my little friends that thought I was a thief. And then the next day I'm sitting at my desk again, still hurting. Miss Hayes, Hilton, up to the front. I go up to the front again. I remember that dear lady put her arm around me. She said, class, I have a little announcement to make. She said, yesterday, this boy was punished for stealing. She said, since then, I have found out and she mentioned another boy's name. She said, I found out that this boy took that case and put it in Hilton's school bag and told me about it in order that he might get Hilton into trouble. And she said, I'm very sorry. And I'd like to give him a pencil. That was a big, that was a big compensation, I can tell you, a pencil. I would like to give him a pencil. And she gave me what we used to call, some of you will remember, an HB pencil. <clears throat> now that was very nice to get a pencil, but I'm going to tell you this, friends. It never compensated me for suffering for something that I didn't do. And I've often thought about it, how the Lord Jesus bleeding in agonies and distress upon a soul on Calvary's tree or something that he didn't do, the sufferings of Christ for you and for me. I think about it another way. I think about one of our boys going over to Germany on one occasion to study. We went to see him. 
And when he was there, he had arranged for us that we might go down to southern Germany to one of the concentration camps, a place called Dachau. And you know, it was 50 years since these things had happened, since hundreds of thousands of Jewish people were burned to death in these concentration camps. Even though it was 50 years, I remember still there were people standing, sobbing, their hearts out, even though it had happened 50 years ago. And we saw the ovens and all those scenes of distress and the shoes that were still there. And just outside the ovens, place where the oven house was, there was this huge mound, this hill. It was now covered in grass. Do you know what it was? It was the ashes. The ashes of thousands of men and women just like you and me. And little children too that had been gassed in those ovens and burned. And below that mound there was a sign. There was a sign. And whenever I read it first, do you know what I thought it said? I thought it said, remember, remember that we died here. That's what I thought it said. Remember that we died here. But when I looked at it again more closely, do you know what it did say? It said, remember how we died here. How we died here. The distress of it. The agony of it. The suffering of it. Remember how we died here. And dear brethren and sisters, as we come together to break the bread, Lord's day by Lord's day, it's not only to remember that he died. We do that. But we remember how he died. Oh, his sufferings that never could be explained or understood. His sufferings at the hands of men. And then his sufferings at the hand of an offended God because of your sin and mine. Remember how we died here. I love to think of the Savior. I love to think that he was without sin. But he wasn't without suffering. All his, we sing at home, all his sufferings on the tree. Savior, we adore thee. And so, when he said it is finished, all those sufferings were forever done. And I don't know if you sing a hymn here, we sing it at home. Never again, never again shall God, Jehovah, smite the shepherd with the sword, and ne'er again shall cruel sinners set it not, our glorious Lord. Men will never spit in his face again. Men will never pull the hairs from his cheek again. Men will never pierce his hands and his feet again, because it is finished. Sufferings that are finished. The second thing that <clears throat> is finished 
the separation. Separation finished. You see, there's something about the cross that happened for the very first time at Calvary. Jesus and his Father had eternally been one. He was the eternal Son of the eternal God. Lovely, unbroken communion from all eternity past, never had a beginning. But at Calvary, he cried another cry that we didn't speak about last week. He cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? A cry of separation. And sometimes we sing that hymn, oh, here, that awful cry. What can its meaning be? My God, my God, oh, why hast thou in wrath forsaken me? For the very first time, there was that sense within the soul of the Savior that God was turning his face away from him. And the separation came in upon the cross that had never, ever been experienced before. And the hymn writer said, the Father turns his face away and wounds which mark the chosen one bring many sons to glory. I tell you, there's something about separation. I was touched when Jeff was telling us the story on Wednesday evening because Jeff had brought to my mind a separation in our life too. When one of our boys was young, he was ill. And we took him to the doctor. The doctor said, there's only one solution. Needs to be an operation. And I remember that day we took that boy up to the hospital. Just a wee bundle. And as we go in his hat, and I remember, friends, I remember taking that wee boy down to the very door, to the very door of the theater. And that nurse came out there and took him from my arms. He sensed there was something happening, and he started to cry. But I couldn't go in. There was a separation that needed to be taken place while that problem was addressed. And the next time I saw him, the marks of the knife were upon his little form. And that's what happened, my friends, at Calvary. God closed the scene in darkness when there was no eye to pity and no harm to save. And God made to meet on him the iniquity of us all. And as he bore our sin, the Father turned his face away. And the marks of divine bruising 
when he was wounded for our transgressions, and when he was bruised for our iniquities, and when the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Separation. But that'll never happen again. Suffering is finished. And separation is forever done. Sometimes when I'm taking that bread and wine, as we did this morning, I just thank God that there was separation in order that I might never be separated from Him. Isn't it tragic to think that in the world there are those that have no preparation, no salvation, no forgiveness, and they're going to know eternal separation from Him. But as I took that bread and I took that cup this morning, I was thankful that He was separated from me in order that I might never be separated eternally from Him. Suffering finished. Separation finished. The third thing that was finished was a system. A system that was finished. You see, there's only one religious system. There's only one religious system in the world that was instituted and instigated by God Himself, and that's the Jewish system. And in the Old Testament, God said to Moses, He said, I want you to make me a dwelling place. Make me a sanctuary that I may dwell therein. And so you remember how Moses constructed this tabernacle with its three parts, the outer court and the holy place and the most holy place. And you remember how in the New Testament times that idea, that pattern was replicated in the temple. And you had the outer court and you had the holy place and you had the most holy of holies. Now the outer court was for the people and the holy place was for the priests. And then in the Holy of Holies was the dwelling place of God. And the thing that separated between the holy place and the most holy place, the thing that separated was this lovely, the Bible calls it a veil. A veil. You and I in our language today might possibly just call it a curtain. And you know, ladies, the thing about this curtain it was a very beautiful, beautiful thing. It was one of the most color, colorful things in all of the Bible. There are not many things in the Bible where we have the colors. We have maybe three or four. The first colorful thing in the Bible was the rainbow. God put that rainbow in the sky with its sevenfold colors to remind us that He would never, ever punish the earth again by a flood. Blue and orange and yellow and green, violet, indigo. I think I've missed one, but there are seven colors of the rainbow. The second beautiful thing of colors in the Bible was Joseph's coat, a coat of many colors. What a lovely coat that must have been that Jacob provided for his boy, the boy that he loved, and he gave him a coat of many colors. And the third thing that was colorful in the Bible was the stones upon the breastplate of the high priest. All the stones in their dazzling colors on the 
on the breastplate of the high priest. But the fourth thing that was beautiful and colorful was this delightful veil, this curtain. It was blue, and it was purple, and it was scarlet, and embroidered upon it was lovely cherubim, embroidered with cunning work, the Bible says. And when you went in to that holy place and saw that delightful curtain, you thought, oh, it's beauty. But not only was it beautiful, but it was a barrier. It was a barrier. Do you know what it was teaching us? It was teaching us that God who dwelt in here and man who operated out here, man could not come in there. Why? Because man, because of a sinful state, could not come into God's presence because of his sin. So man could not come out. Man could not go in, and God could not come out. They were separated by this barrier. But when Jesus said, it is finished. You know what happened to that barrier? You know what happened to that curtain? It was suspended by four golden pillars. It was hung upon golden hooks. And as soon as the Lord Jesus said, it is finished, God took that curtain and he ripped it apart. And the Bible in Matthew 27 says the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the bottom to the top. No, from the top to the bottom because God did it. It didn't fall down because of wear and tear or old age. It parted in the middle because God was satisfied with the death of his beloved son. And as soon as God heard, finished, God was satisfied, and he ripped apart forever that curtain that divided God and man. And now man can go into God's presence, and God can come out to man and be merciful and kind and just to sinful men like you and me because of the finished work of Christ upon the cross. Now, what's the lesson that we learn from that? And I know the background that so many of you come from here this morning. I don't want you to miss the lesson of that rent veil. Do you know what it tells us? It tells us that the system is finished and the priest is obsolete. We no longer need the priest to go into the presence of God for us. We can go in for ourselves. And we come in not only addressing Him as God, our great Creator, but we go right into His presence and we call Him God as our Father. We're in His family. We're His children. Because of the finished work of Christ and that system has for the present time been put away. Isn't that wonderful that suffering is finished? Separation is finished, and the system is finished. You can go into God's presence. But just a wee word of warning, even though you can't go into God's presence, I want to say to everyone this morning, you cannot be, you cannot be born in sin, and you cannot live in sin, and you cannot die in sin, and you cannot expect to experience 
to escape the consequences of sin if that sin is unforgiven. And before you go into God's presence, you must first of all confess your sin and take Christ as your Savior and embrace that finished work of Christ as sufficient to meet your need for all eternity. A system that's finished. Sufferings end it. Separation done. System abolished. But the fourth thing it's finished. The fourth thing is the price of salvation. Salvation. All finished. You know, <clears throat> back in the Emerald Isle, every Easter, there's a, there's a hill near where we live, where St. Patrick, apparently, the rumor, the, the tradition is that one time St. Patrick there tended to his sheep. And every Easter time and St. Patrick's Day, there's people walking up that hill on bare feet. Bare feet. In order that they might obtain, obtain forgiveness for their sin. And they don't seem to realize that it's, the, the price of salvation has all been finished. And the price has all been paid. And there's nothing we can do except to believe it and to accept it and to, to trust the Savior for ourselves because the price has all been paid. Salvation finished. You'll be thinking with these little illustrations that I tell you that we have been great travelers and the only reason we have ever traveled really was because of our family. We would never have been here if it wasn't for our family. We'd never have been to Germany if it hadn't have been for our family. And one time our eldest boy went to Australia of all places. And I tell you, <coughs> I tell you, the day he got on that plane to go to Australia, I tell you, Anna and I never spoke for three full days. It was like a bereavement in the family. So we had to go out to see him. Good excuse. Had to go out to see him. And, you know, we met Christian friends there, and one day they said to us, like, would you like to come out to, would you like to, come out to Sydney Harbour Bridge? And we went out to Sydney Harbour Bridge. And we went up on that big bridge. I'm sure you've all seen it on your TV screens, especially at New Year. Wonderful bridge, a wonderful place. But you know what that dear brother was telling us about Sydney Harbour, Harbour Bridge? He was telling us, you know, because it's exposed to the sea winds and the salt, the air and all the rest. He said there are men that paint that bridge. And he said they're suspended on these harnesses and they, they just spend their day painting this bridge. And he said, it takes them three years, this team, it takes them three years to go from this side of the bridge to the other side of the bridge. Painting for three years to get this bridge finished. And then he says, at the end of three years, you know what happens? He says, they go right back and start all over again. He says, it's never finished. It's never, ever finished. It's a bit like some people's bedrooms. Never finished. Never tidy. <laughs> ah, but listen, when the Savior said it's finished, everything was fully done. God himself was satisfied. Christ, the victory, fully won. How thankful we are to be able to proclaim this afternoon to the whosoever will, the work of salvation has all been finished. There are 4,000 
million souls in this vast world of ours. But I want to tell you this morning, forget about 4,000 million. It was finished for you on Calvary's cross. And all you have to do is to believe it and to receive it and take Christ into your heart and change your destiny for eternity and change your life for time because salvation has all been finished. This wasn't me this time that was traveling. This was another friend of mine. He was in Washington, D.C., in November 1963, when President John F. Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas and Texas. And he was staying with some Christian friends, and when the news came through, <clears throat> he decided that he would walk down to the famous White House. And he said, I walked down to the famous White House with some others, and he said the lights were on in that famous Oval Office. But he said Kennedy wasn't there. He was in eternity. He said, I prayed for three things. I bowed my head and quietly prayed for three things. He said, number one, I, I prayed for the Kennedy family. He said, I never voted for him. I wasn't a supporter of him, but I felt the agony and sadness of the Kennedy family in their bereavement. And he said, I prayed for the Kennedy family that they might be comforted in their sadness and sorrow. He said, the second thing I prayed for was the great nation of America, that there might be a leader raised up that would be a godly man, an honorable man, and one that would lead the nation in the ways that were true and right. That was the second thing I prayed for. But he said, the third thing I prayed, he said, I bowed my head, and I give thanks for, to God that I had something greater, something greater than the President of the United States. He said, Mr. Kennedy, President Kennedy, in that moment, he said it left it all behind. He couldn't take it with him. But he said, I had something within my soul because of the finished work of Christ. What was it? Salvation. Which was not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. And he said, I thank God for a wonderful salvation that would not only fit me for life down here, but would fit me for heaven up there when traveling days are done. Would you have that this morning, my friend? Do you have that assurance that all is well for the great forever? When life's fleeting moment is passing away and eternity's door is opening to embrace us and there's no coming back? Eternity. Eternity. Where will you spend eternity? I trust that the finished work of Christ may warm our hearts and cheer our hearts and thankful that it was for me and for any who are not ready 
that they might embrace the finished work of Christ as sufficient to meet their eternal need even this morning. Every eye is closed. Let's think. Ask yourself this question. Am I saved? Are my sins forgiven? I don't want to add. We've heard enough. If uh, life is ending now, this is the question. Would you be with Christ? Or would you be without him? Everything has been done for us. Just take salvation. The salvation of Jesus Christ. Apply it to your heart. Confess your sins and you're saved for eternity. Please ask yourself this question. Am I ready? As the brother said, when, where will you spend eternity? Where? If you're not in heaven, I hate to say, there is no alternative but lost without Christ forever and ever. Our Father, as we bow our heads for prayers, may each and every heart meditate on this subject. It is finished. Are you comfortable with that? That's my question. Are we comfortable with that? Thank God, those who know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, they are very comfortable. But those who are not, we pray with all our hearts this afternoon that you bring them to your wonderful, loving heart and take them in your arms and save their lives. We commit this meeting, each and every one, and those, those who have been hearing it on the website, they're signed on, and on the waves, we pray, Lord, that it will bring forth fruits to your kingdom. We thank you for the brother who came all the way from Ireland to give us this precious word. May you bless him and bless his family. And may you bless each and every one as we commit them to your care. In Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen. The meeting is over. God bless you. If you need to talk to Brother Hilton after the meeting, he's here in the front. Come and talk to him. And God bless you all.